Hello. Thank you. Um, this evening, I'm actually sitting in the chair in place of Edward, Councillor Oliver. Um, from there, we shall see how it goes. I'm going to start as normal with the apologies and then the minutes. I will be changing the order of the items. Um, we'll come to that when we come to it. So first of all, have we got any apologies? Uh, I have apologies from Councillors Dean and Jones and Councillor Oliver as well. Okay. Any declarations of interest? I'll set that as none then. Uh, move on to item two, which is minutes of the previous meeting. Those that were at the previous meeting, have you read the minutes and do you agree with them? Or are there any changes? In that case then, I'll take them as read. Um, I'm going to take item... Sorry. Um, just under the uh, minutes, there's reference in there to um, a request for the chairman of the committee to write to um, the auditors uh, raising concerns uh, around the audits, just to confirm to members that that has been done. Um, uh, I don't believe that a reply has yet been received uh, from the auditors, but uh, Councillor Oliver has written to them. Um, and while I've got, <laughs> while I've got the microphone, um, I just want to raise a couple of uh, other matters of interest. Um, we were going to be having the financial regulations, contract procedurals and treasury management practices at this meeting tonight, but um, decided to defer these until the next meeting of the committee, which is in November. Um, they are quite involved documents, and we thought that because there were quite a lot of new members, uh, people might benefit from a briefing session on the documents in advance. So um, Angela Knight is looking to organise a briefing. Uh, it should be later this month. Um, so the um, invitation will be open to all members, but it's particularly important that members of governance, audit and performance attend if they are able to. So keep a lookout for that. There will be a request coming out for a uh, for a briefing session. And the other matter to uh, raise very quickly is that um, I've had a conversation with Councillor Luck uh, before the meeting who has uh, recently been to a session which uh, included uh, work on ethical procurement. Now, uh, I'm not a procurement expert, but um, he's asked if it is something that potentially the committee could uh, receive some information on. So um, this is just to say that we've acknowledged that request and I'll take it away and talk to um, the procurement manager and uh, Angela as her manager um, to see what we can do and bring something back to a future meeting. Thank you. Any questions? Uh, Chair, if I may, um, just to go back to the minutes, um, whilst the, I mean, in terms of the accuracy, no, no problems with that, but um, I just wonder if there's a, a way of tracking uh, the matters arising uh, from the minutes. They're not entirely clear. Uh, so is there a schedule that needs to go with the minutes? Uh, to track the matters arising and what progress has been made? Yeah, we can certainly um, include, we, uh, we have done this in the past, um, for, certainly for the scrutiny committee, um, we, we can include a table with, with those in with an update um, and append that to the minutes. Well, I think it would be good governance if you could, because I yep. just want to make sure that the actions are yep. being tracked no through. Yep. Thank you. Any more questions? 
Fine. Um, we're going to take item four next, which is the local government ombudsman annual review 1819. So I shall hand over to Dawn French and carry on. Thank you, Chair, and thank you for taking it out of order and uh, 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 indulging me uh, as I'm about to go on uh, annual leave. So, um, so this is the uh, Local Government Ombudsman's annual review. He sends a letter uh, to each local authority relating to the year 1819. Uh, uh, as the uh, letter outlines, we had uh, um, nine inquiries were uh, reported to the local government ombudsman. Um, the numbers don't always tally because obviously some complaints are closed, were made during the previous year and are closed in this year and some are in this year's uh, but, we, but will be dealt with next year. But uh, for this period we had nine uh, complaints, none of which were uh, uh, deemed to find the council at fault. Um, we have a low number so it's quite difficult to distinguish trends um, but the, uh, as the report sets out, although this relates to 1819, uh, we felt it appropriate to alert members that there are two cases that we are aware of uh, in this current financial year that will appear in next year's annual review letter, which have found the council to be at fault and has required us to apologise and pay compensation. Um, and so to also set the Ombudsman's uh, report into context, we've attached a summary of the complaints received by the Council. Um, the, uh, for complaints to be considered by the Ombudsman, they have to have exhausted the Council's internal complaints policy. So uh, to set it into context, you can see uh, how many complaints the Council receives. Uh, as the report says... Um, this is probably an underrepresentation of the complaints actually received because uh, in the services, um, managers will deal with complaints, uh, apologise, correct, whatever, and they don't always get reported um, because they're just dealt with. So the stage two complaints probably reflect, reflect better uh, the level of complaints because they've been escalated to a senior service manager. And so likewise, the compliments, many service areas will take compliments and say thank you and move on um, but we do like to also record compliments but equally that's an underrepresentation uh, because many of the staff are very modest and uh, you know just carry on uh, uh, about their normal business rather than reporting them uh, so uh, that sets out the ombudsman's annual letter and our complaints uh, happy to answer any questions Chairman, I'm substituting for Councillor Dean. Through you, Chair, could I ask the Chief Executive, uh, you mentioned that there were two cases where currently going through the system where the Council has made an apology. Uh, without wanting to go into the details, does she feel that there are any lessons to be learned from those two cases? And uh, how significant is the compensation? Is it a relatively small amount, or is it something that uh, um, members would be a little bit more concerned about? Thank you. So, um, the, uh, the, uh, both the complaints relate to uh, issues in planning and to uh, the nature of advice that applicants or those uh, engaging with the planning service had received. Um, so 
Um, there was corrective action already in place, so these were historical by the time they've gone through the internal complaints procedure and the Ombudsman, and they've done their investigation. So there were improvements already in place, but we were also able to um, share at the Ombudsman's request the improvement plan and our progress against that improvement plan. So uh, the Ombudsman asked to see what corrective action was in place, and we were able to provide a comprehensive um, uh, plan, which we were already working on, and of course the... Um, the uh, progress against that. So my recollection is that the compensation is in the order of £300, but I will um, email members tomorrow if, if that is incorrect, but that's my recollection. So that's the order uh, each. Uh, well, every penny spent perplexes the Section 151 officer. But um, So the Ombudsman's uh, compensation scheme is not intended to be punitive for uh, a local authority, but to obviously signify to a complainant to uh, address often their time and trouble. Uh, uh, and, you know, so it's, a, uh, it's intended to be a signal. So uh, compensation, that's the maximum, in, in that order is quite unusual. So we have obviously taken that very seriously. Yes, Chair, I do. Thank you. Um, it relates to Appendix B, um, which talks about, well, gives more details of the numbers of complaints. And my, my question relates to what it says uh, in the note at the bottom about planning. Because most of the complaints apparently relate to chasing determinations because deadlines are missed. And it refers to meetings ongoing and um, discussions with the planning management team to monitor performance with a view to presumably improving that level of performance. Can you comment as to whether or not that is happening? And if it's not, does it reflect um, in it an inadequate number of staff? And the reason I ask, I speak from personal experience, having submitted an application, an out, one app, an application uh, a couple of years ago now for an outline application for one house, I started chasing it after six months. And yes, that could have resulted in a complaint. It could have done from anyone. And, and this is really, I would say, not acceptable. But it depends upon the circumstances to which the, the officers are subject. So, uh, Chair, so um, uh, the two directors, the, the Director of Public Services responsible for the area, uh, Adrian is um, responsible for Finance and Corporate Services and myself, do meet with uh, the di Assistant Director of Planning and the Development Management Manager and um, the uh, Administration Manager um, to understand what the problem has been. So we know that there was a problem during quarter three of 18-19 and then um, what actions are being taken, what additional interim resources were needed, what were the systems, you know, how was the technology being used. Uh, so uh, both to challenge, uh, bring an external eye in the case of uh, Adrian and myself, not being from planning, and uh, but also to provide whatever support we needed uh, as, as an organisation 
to them. So we continue to do that. There has been an improvement uh, in the performance management, uh, and it's been. And uh, you may be aware, Council Store, we've also recruited permanent additional permanent staff because when we looked at the numbers and the resources, the level of agency resource we'd had over the periods actually indicated that there was a, a need for a permanent resource and um, uh, agency staff are very good and a very valuable uh, opportunity for the council to use but we felt that investing in uh, appointing uh, uh, employed staff on a uh, full-time contract and providing the development opportunity was a better way forward uh, for the service. So we continue to monitor it because we need to embed all of those practices and uh, continue to shine a light on the performance. Uh, I think it's, in, it's helpful um, for the staff to know that we are actively interested uh, and looking at different solutions. Um, and... Uh, you know, there will be there will be uh, members of the public who complain sooner, others who are very very tolerant and and leave it quite a long time. Um, but of course, we do you know we do aim to um, determine. And communication is often the key. It's often for the applicant, not the fact that it's taking longer than they might have anticipated, but the communication that they're receiving about that. So uh, there are some of the elements and aspects that we talk to the managers about. Thank you. Thank you very much. So if I can just draw members' attention to the recommendation, uh, Chair, which is paragraph 3 on page 21, uh, which is asking the committee to note the contents of the annual review letter and the position with regard to complaints and compliments for the year ending 31st of March Um, are the committee happy with the contents of the report? Okay, so we will now go back to item three, which is the Internal Audit Progress Report, and that is um, Sheila Bronson, the uh, Internal Audit Manager. Thank you, Chair. Yes, um, this is my regular report that I bring to the committee um, to just inform the committee of um, the progress and the work that the Internal Audit has done. Um, this, this report covers the period from the 1st of May to the 31st of August. Um, there's a couple of things I would just like to, to, to go through uh, with members. Paragraph 7, it talks about the internal audit work 
On the 2018-19 audit program, members are aware that we, we extended the period that we were doing work on um, that program to the, to, towards the end of June. I, um, in the report, I say 10 of the remaining 11 audits um, were completed. Um, the final report, the audit of budgets, has also now been completed, and a copy of that audit has been, uh, audit report has been forwarded to all members. Um, and also, um, the one audit from the 2019-20 audit program has been completed. Uh, actually, a second audit now has been completed, um, and that report will be supported to you shortly. And we have started work on uh, 12 audits now from, the, from this year's program. So we're, we're, we're progressing well. Um, also, during the period from 1st of May to 31st of August, there were 11 level three and level four recommendations that were implemented during this period. These are recommendations that had been made in previous audit reports. Um, there is, of course, um, I'll give you a breakdown in the appendix of the final reports that have been issued, the, um, uh, where we are as far as progress on the, this year's audit program is concerned, and um, uh, uh, the information on the 11 recommendations that have been um, been um, implemented. So I am. I have one type typing error to also apologise for. That's on page 15 on the the the, uh, the table at the bottom, which shows the reports, the asset management report being issued. The revised potential days should be 10, and the risk level is four, not the other way around. Apologies for that. But I'm. They're happy to take any questions, queries at all that members have got. Um, right, thank you for your report. It's uh, um, very clear. Just, just a couple of points, really, just for my clarification. Um, so if I look at your internal audit programme and then I look at the risk register, what correlation can I see between your uh, areas that you've identified as high risk and those that are appearing in the risk register? Uh, well, you'll see on, on the, um, um, the, uh, the audit program on page 16, there is a column that says internal audit risk, or I, sorry, IA risk, 2019-20. Um, At the um, beginning of drafting the audit program for the year, we do, I do a full risk assessment, and the, the first thing that we, I will actually be looking at will be the corporate plan. Um, what actions are coming out of the corporate plan, and the second thing is the corporate risk register. So, there will be items um, on our programme for this year that have got the higher risks, the fours and the, the threes, that you will also see on the corporate risk register, which I believe is coming a bit later on to the committee. You'll see there will be there are certain items on there that are also on the corporate risk register. So that's the, is, in the list of priorities that we look at. The corporate risk register is second. I'll just put this on. So the that's very helpful. Um, so, so are you saying that actually there is a correlation between what you're presenting here tonight and it appears in the risk register? When we discuss the risk register, we'll be able to pinpoint your high risk areas here and yes. your areas of work. Yes, you, you will see from the risk register. There's quite a number of items on, okay. on the corporate risk register that we have um, audits planned for this year. Okay. Chair, if I may, one more question. Yes. Um, what's troubling you in terms of what's on your mind where you think there might be some problems with the, your timetable, whether it's 
difficult areas to uh, provide an internal audit on or whether it is around your resources? Um, I, at this precise moment, I'm, I'm confident with the resource that we've got, we won't have a problem in actually delivering this, this audit plan. Uh, my, my colleague, um, Wendy, who recently joined us, has come along this evening to, to see how this committee works. Um, um, uh, my team, I think, are working very well. At this particular moment, I wouldn't say we're coming up with any great obstacles. As always, our, our biggest problem is just making, getting the timing right to actually, to actually talk to the right members of staff on the, the right times of year. We try as far as we can to liaise with the service managers um, and try and let them know as far in advance as possible as to when we're anticipating coming out. But sometimes we are then at the mercy of their resources as well as to whether or not we can go out at that particular time. But what we've done with this audit plan, because this was a restricted, we're looking at really nine months worth rather than the whole year because of the delay on last year's audit plan, we've also reduced in effect the number of audit days that we were looking at. We've concentrated on our highest priority, the highest risk areas that we consider. Um, we're planning in effect most of our audit work to be done before or up and towards the end of December, almost leaving us the three months, January, February, March, to tie up anything that for any reason people say, can you possibly come out a bit later on in the year? We've had a couple of audits already where people have said, at this precise moment, it's not a good idea. One of them is on there, is licensing. We were going to start that in, in August, but there's a big review going on in licensing at the moment, so there's no point in going out and auditing, auditing something now and then finding that, that it's, it's not relevant. So we've, we've already agreed we will look that, at that again in January. Councillor Sill. Thank you, Chairman. I think when you've come before, if my memory serves me right, um, you've had, you had past tense staffing issues with long-term sickness, and of course I think you were seconded for some time, GDPR. So, uh, in your view, are things looking um, much rosier for the internal audit team compared to what it has been, say, in the last 12 months or two years? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, uh, so, uh, rosier, perhaps, is a nice word. But certainly, more back to normal, I think. Right. Is it? <laughs> Any more questions from the floor? If I may ask one. Um, I believe you pick and choose different audits throughout yep. for the span of your, your working year, so mm -hmm. to speak. And you don't audit every department every year, is that correct? That's correct. Um, we have a sort of three-year cyclical way of auditing the key, what we consider to be the key financial audits. Um, all of the, the other service areas that we will look at, every year I, 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 bring, uh, I, I create the audit strategic plan. Um, and we will sometimes bring it off and bring in stuff that hasn't been looked at for some years, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't sit down and say we expect to audit everything within an every five-year basis because we, we work on risk-based audits, so we will look at the highest risk areas first. So some areas may be audited more frequently than the others, but sometimes that will depend on what's going on in those particular areas. But the key financials, we will say we will, we will audit at least once every three years. But if you needed to put an extra audit in because something has come to light, so oh, to speak, yes. you have enough 
Yeah. Flexibility to yes. do that. Yes, yeah. I mean, if, if there was something that, that we would consider to be absolutely critical to look at, then there was a possibility something might drop off the plan until next year. But yes, no, we would always make time for that. Thank you. Okay, um, we're moving on now to PFI and Performance Officer Oliver Knight and Paula Evans, Customer Services and Performance Officer. That should be manager. No, sorry. Member. No, manager. Monitor. Apologies to the committee. I have given um, Councillor Driscoll a list of who is here. My writing is so bad that he is struggling to read it. It is very um, much my fault and not his. This, this is item, item five. Item five. Lovely. Thank you, Chair. Um, so this report presents the corporate risk register for 2019-20. Um, just for new members of this committee, we bring an update from, of the corporate risk register on a twice yearly basis. It tends to be one towards the beginning of the performance year and then one towards the end. Um, the corporate risk register itself includes risks which are cross-cutting and thematic as opposed to being focused on particular service level priorities. Um, and it's considered by the council that if these risks are not controlled, then they could have very much a serious impact on the council's ability to achieve its main corporate priorities and also to carry out its day-to-day -day operations. Um, whilst the performance team facilitate uh, the update process, the actual the, the corporate management team themselves are responsible for the management of each risk and also for the introduction of relevant risk mitigation measures. Um, for this particular update, CMT, uh, the corporate management team, have reviewed all scores for current likelihood and current impact um, for each of the risks and provided as well a written progress update which details both risk mitigation measures that have been implemented and also further control actions still to be implemented. In terms of the risk scores that are detailed for current likelihood and impact in this report, most of them have remained the same since the 2018-2019 risk register. Um, it should be noted, though, that many new risk mitigation measures have been implemented thus far and will continue to, to be so. Um, just as an example of this, with regards to the risk for information technology, an LGA stock take has been completed and some funding has been secured, which has enabled the implementation of further security protocols within the system. However, when reviewing the corporate risks for this particular update, um, it was decided and considered that the risk score should remain the same in terms of both likelihood and impact because cyber attacks will always be a persistent threat to us um, which could have a significant operational impact. Um, obviously, we'll bring further updates as and when risk mitigation measures are introduced and probably will bring a further update on the risk register as a whole for 2019-20 towards the end of the year, the end of the performance year, so maybe March, April sort of time. Um, I'm happy to take any questions from members with regards to the risks there. Thank you, Chair. Could, could I ask you a question to you, please, about um, the risk relating to the local plan? The comment states um, significant risk 
is the adverse impact on its revenue position related to the lack of a sound base for, its, for the Council's development management function and ongoing costs of preparing a local plan. Now, definitely yes with a local plan, if we have to go back to the beginning and start again, um, for example. But could you expand upon what you mean by reference to the the lack of a sound base for the development management function, please. And the, the reason I ask it is this, because without a local plan, without an up-to-date local plan, um, the decision-making process should change. So there is still a basis. It's still laid out in statute as to how you go about it. But there that will probably put more pressure on the staff because there will be more applications as there's a free-for-all, mm -hmm. as that free-for-all continues. Mm -hmm. But on the upside, those applications would each come with a fee. Yeah. Now, how that balances out, I don't know. But was that the kind of thing that, that you were referring to? I, I believe, when I think when this risk was first... Um, initially introduced. I think that very much is the case. Um, I can certainly take it away and ask and confirm with our Assistant Director for Planning if that is definitely the case because he's responsible for that particular risk. Forgive me, I'm being very pedantic in this no, instance. No, I appreciate yeah. that, so yeah. do excuse yeah. me in that respect. No, I, I'll take it away and I can, I can confirm for you what exactly that terminology refers to. Okay, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Uh, just in relation to information technology, uh, just having a look over, in terms of cybersecurity, um, I can't see, and I may not be looking properly, where do we look at staff, officer, and uh, member training? Or does that fall under a different remit? Because I see for further actions, there's investment security system, robust recovery plans. Yes. Yeah. Uh, having worked in the industry, yes, yeah. Unfortunately, we're probably the biggest risk to cybersecurity. Yes. Uh, I just wondered how that's been um, mitigated and what the plan for okay. that is. Um, I think for um, in terms of the corporate risk register, the investment and the recovery plans are what's considered on the strategic level. But then we've also got a service level risk management process as well, where things like staff and day to day management issues are considered. Um, we need to work about the work to do with the relationship between the two processes. So yeah. that is something that we are looking at revising at the moment. Um, but very much so to do with the staffing, it's considered more on a, on a service level risk management basis as opposed to the within the corporate risk risk. But obviously it is very much in, intrinsically related to it as well. Yeah, okay. Thank you. I, th I think if I can, just in reply to that specific bit around training, uh, last Wednesday... Uh, the corporate management team had it dropped on them that there was a cyber security issue and we did a full-blown uh, morning session with the external trainers on how to do it and we brought IT into that as well. So we actually had an event where we went through exactly that scenario of uh, an officer had inadvertently introduced a cyber security problem. So we are doing ongoing training at the time of this being prepared. Um, 
Mrs Whitman wasn't prepared to put in there because that would have warned CMT that the event was upcoming. <laughs> and I would just like to say it was one of the best Wednesday mornings I've ever had. It was uh, very interesting indeed. And also, uh, the, um, the external company that got in, it was led by a chap who was uh, a former soldier who led the attack force that liberated Basra. Um, and it turns out there are some transferable skills between the two disciplines, so who knew? Okay, thank you, Chair. Um, governance. Um, I, I, I worry about how this is framed because there's clearly reputational risk, and reputational risk carries across all of these risks, but yeah. Yeah. I think we just need to be a bit more explicit about that okay. within uh, the risk register itself. Um, I mean, clearly there's a lot going on with the new administration and the governance review working group, and clearly there's also something else which troubles me uh, in terms of, when I say troubles me, uh, I think we should be concerned about from a governance perspective, which is the investment group that's also uh, being set up, the investment board, should I say. Um, so I wonder, I, I wonder whether we've calibrated the governance risk register in the right way, given that these things are hugely important in relation to the council as it moves forward, covers both mm -hmm. financial and reputational risk. Um, so I just wanted your comment, really, on whether you feel, in terms of leading this piece of work, that actually governance is covered robustly enough in terms of its risk. I mean, I, I think there are... Certainly, we need to be thinking about this, particularly in this committee, and we may want to decide, Chair, um, at some point in the future, particularly with the investment board that's going to be discharging public money and the governance of the council bringing you know, people here to uh, provide some answers <coughs> on that as we move forward. So I just wanted to get your view whether that was calibrated in, in the right way. In other words, I think it's higher than what you've actually... My, my gut feeling, it's higher yeah, than what it's been calibrated <laughs> yeah. here. Okay. So some um, honesty, really, and some openness around... Yeah. Not that I, I think people are being dishonest, forgive mm. me, but mm. some openness, really, about how that is actually formulated. Yeah. Can I just clarify for the, the, the benefit of um, all, all members, the, um, the, the scoring here and, and the progress update uh, are provided by the corporate management team rather than by Oliver and Paula. They administer the process and make sure that we are uh, completing this effectively, but I think that's something that, yeah, we would need to take back to the corporate management team for a discussion on. Um, I do hear what you're saying. Um, I think right. So um, we I'm, need to reflect on. So the, the action, therefore, is that you're going to take that back? Yeah, we'll take that back to Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think again, Chair, if I can, just the corp the commercial strategy, which is which was approved at Cabinet a couple of hours ago, will come to Council on the eighth of October for adoption by full Council, hopefully, and that does set out very much that uh, the GAP committee is a key part of that and there will be regular reports coming from the Investment Board to GAP on progress around investments, monitoring, etc. Any more questions at all? Are we all happy with um, what we've got in front of us? So, item... Six on the agenda, please. The PFI contract update. Lovely, thank you, Chair. Um, 
This report presents an update on Uttlesford District Council's Leisure PFI contract, which is now in its 19th year of operation. Just as a quick summary, um, Uttlesford District Council entered into a private finance agreement um, with Lintium in May 2002, which involved the outsourcing, design, construction, refurbishment, and also the ongoing maintenance and operation of three leisure centres within the district. So that's the Great Dunmo Leisure Centre, which is adjacent to the Henry Manor School, the Mount Fitchett Ramira Leisure Centre in Stancy Mount Fitchett, which is adjacent to the Forest Hall School, and also the Lord Butler Leisure Centre in Saffron Walden. Um, paragraphs 6 through to 10, and also Appendix A in this report, provide a fairly comprehensive overview of the contract history and structure. Um, and they also detail the council responsibilities for contract monitoring and management. Since the last contract update that we brought to this committee in September 2018, uh, responsibilities have changed with the, uh, with the introduction of the position of PFI and performance officer. Um, and this role very much, well, my role very much functions as a, almost a dedicated resource on day-to-day -day contract management and monitoring. Um, I've also detailed in there as well the contracts provisions for measuring performance and performance management through the payment mechanism. So the contract has 10 key performance indicators which measure different aspects of service delivery and there's also a mechanism for us to apply deduct financial deductions to the contractor based upon the non-availability of the facilities or the services for whatever reason they may happen. And very much this, the payment the mechanism overall provides a well, it ensures the contractor provides us with a high level of service and um, whilst also giving us as the authority oversight over all key operational aspects of the contract. Um, this report also references uh, towards the end the ongoing projects which we are progressing to do with contract performance and contract governance and these really overarching help us to ensure that we are delivering value for money for the authority through the contract. Um, as an example of this, I'm working now with the leisure operator OneLife to gain the necessary access to be able to log into their performance management system so that I can monitor things remotely for, from the authority's point of view. Um, all, I've been doing that already with their cleaning system and we've seen vast improvements in the performance already with us monitoring on a real-time basis the schedules of completed tasks. Um, another thing as well I did want to point out from this report is we have been working to develop a lot of the health and wellbeing initiatives which are delivered as part of the PFI contract. Um, as an example of this, the leisure operator OneLife provide a GP referral scheme and a specialist class scheme where people can be referred from their GPs within the district if they've got different cardiac issues, pulmonary issues or for stroke rehabilitation, if, that, if exercise could help them effectively. Um, one thing that we noted upon looking at the attendance statistics was that they're always constantly very high. So we looked at securing some additional funding to be able to widen the programme. Um, quite a few of the GPs have also said to us that they've found that they weren't able to refer people who were working during the day because a lot, most of the programmes fall within the morning or the <coughs> afternoon as opposed to in the evening. So we've now secured some more funding which is enable us, enabling us to roll out the programme throughout the autumn this year to the evening as well. So we're hoping to see an extension of the um, participation in that programme. So one of the things I wanted to make quite clear was that by developing the contract, we're also contributing to the authorities' health and well-being priorities and objectives as well. Um, I guess the point to close really is that whilst the contract has still got another 16 years of operation until 2035, 
we are already instigating discussions with Lintium concerning the handback of the facilities to us. It very much is going to provide us as the authority with an opportunity to reflect upon our wishes for leisure and leisure service provision within the district in the post-PFI era. So we'll be very much looking to engage with members in these discussions as they progress. Um, I'm more than happy to take any questions from members, whether they be contract-based or operational in any way, shape, or form. Um, so I'm just going to butt in here because they would <coughs> never say it themselves, but um, um, we gave this uh, contract to Paula uh, a couple of years ago after a restructure uh, and the previous uh, person who managed the contract uh, left the authority um, and she has over the past two years done an absolutely incredible job in um, revamping the way that we manage this contract. And then we brought Oliver on board uh, only at the beginning of this year in a new role because we realised that Paul needed some additional support and he has done an equally incredible job with it uh, to the extent that this contract is now uh, being held up by Lintium as who have several, several PFI contracts, as you can imagine, um, as a, an example of the way that uh, such contracts should be managed. So um, I think we, the council can be really proud of the way that this, uh, this contract has developed. Yes, Councillor. Um, Carl Barrett is on my patch uh, at Wimbish, and I've heard um, discussions about the new uh, facility there, athletics, etc. Can you comment on that? Uh, will you be involved in some sort of contract with the Army? Or? We don't know at the moment. Uh, no, there, there's no intention of us being involved at all. Okay. That will be run by the Army. I think they've already appointed people to run it. Yes. The comments that I had were that this should be something that the public had access to, but uh, the message I was getting was that this would be limited by the Army and you'd have to be a member of a club to get on the track appointed times through a booking system. So. There's, there's certainly proposed to be a booking system. Uh, I don't know around arrangements for individuals, but certainly it's aimed at clubs and everything. Uh, if you would like, I have a copy of the contract, which you're more than welcome to send, share it with you all. I'd be interested in looking at that. Thank you. When, when is that supposed to be coming online as a facility? Now you're testing me. Uh, early next year, and there is a cut-off, which if it hasn't come on by, I think it's March 2021, they repay the money, less that that's already been spent, and that would be subject to a full audit, obviously. So there is, a, there is an expectation it's early next year, and there is a clawback if they don't achieve that within 12 months of that date. Thank you. Councillor Sell. Thank you, Chairman. Just to clear an interest, there's a Governor of Forest Hall School which uses the Ramira Leisure Centre. I remember being at the opening of the Ramira um, quite a few years ago now. Um, one, it's good that we've got dedicated officers looking after this uh, PFI contract. One thing that does concern me, and the operators did come to a meeting of this committee some time ago and I did 
briefly speak to them is that they don't seem to have much engagement within the local community. And we have a new parish councillor, council for example. Uh, we have two new district councillors in Sturstead. And I, I, I just think that there should be a bit more... Well, there's nothing really. I, I never hear from the operators of the Ramira Centre. And we can be and should be uh, cheerleaders for the Ramira, promoting it. And it just seems to be an opportunity lost. And you mentioned uh, uh, the looking to the post-PFI era, which is good. Uh, because uh, one of the things with Romira uh, is, of course, that unlike the other two leisure centres, Romira doesn't have a swimming pool, wasn't built with one. And uh, I had a family member work at the Romira some years ago. They used to say that people came in and once they knew there wasn't a swimming pool there, they walked out again. And uh, clearly there are, in our local, in our village plan, there, there is uh, some demand for a swimming pool at the, at the Romira. So something to look at uh, in the post-PFI area where stats in the neighbouring villages are all growing. Thank you. Councillor yeah. Carl. Sorry. I was just going to say, Councillor Sell, um, One Life submit to us annually an annual marketing plan and strategy. And this year we've very much, um, between me and Paula, we've ensured that there is a lot more locally focused activities so it's not just that they're based primarily in Saffron Walden or in Great Dunmo it's, it's across the district so we're hoping that they will actively engage across the district but we will definitely take it away and speak to them that they um, are not necessarily publicising themselves as well in, in the Back briefly Chairman you may not be aware that in Stansted we have new, got a new build which should be opening very soon called the Mount Fidget Exchange and it's a be a fun, include the new library yeah. and it will yeah. be a fantastic place for the operators yeah. uh, to have literature promoting yes. the the Ramira and so they may or may not be aware of that because yeah. uh, as I say their contacts with the parish council which Councillor Khan and myself are members seem to be almost non-existent or very limited mm. okay. Thank you Chair um, so, yes, obviously, uh, I agree with uh, everything that Councillor Sell has said. Um, can you just give me a bit of information on customer satisfaction? Um, I, just, I, I may have missed this in the report and in your yes. excellent update. Yes. Um, you said that the KPI is currently under review. Is yes. that because it's not robust enough? Yes. Right. Yeah. So just tell us more about that. Yes. So how can we then have confidence in this new yeah. customer satisfaction so, target? So, in effect, the... Um, the KPI that was set for customer satisfaction back when the contract was initially created in 2002 focuses on a one annual survey which is run by uh, the NBS scheme and is sort of funded very much through Sports England. So it's a national survey okay. that most leisure operators are participants in. The, what we have found is that the, the performance standard for that KPI was that they would aim to achieve the upper quartile for customer satisfaction, which... Upon looking at the market, that was, it's not very realistic for them to do it, given that they're not a private sector organisation that would have very big budgets to be able to increase the um, facilities there. So what we have suggested as an authority 
is a new proposal potentially for this KPI, whereby we would, instead of just looking at the attack, you know, asking them to attain a certain level, we would actually analyse the actual results themselves and try and incorporate them into annual service plans that are ongoing. So we have an annual service report where One Life provide to us what they would like to do next year, so what their plans are for next year. And the actual customer satisfaction results, one of the things that the public are asked to do is to rank how important parts of the facility are to them with how satisfied they are. So we, what we would like to do is to try and align those two things together to try and embed the customer viewpoint into the annual service plans. Uh, quite frankly, as it is at the moment, that KPI is, it does not, we, we don't feel that it's, it, it's doing anything to add governance to the contract as it is, which is why it's under review. Sorry, Chair, if I may just... So that's yeah. really helpful, and yeah. I think that's absolutely right. So um, just, just forgive me again. So what will the measurement be? I mean, how often then will you measure it? Will it be annual? Will it be quarterly? What will it be? And what so, will it look like? OK. So what we've initially, initially are proposing um, is that we meet with them on an annual basis at the time when the results come in and they have finished their annual service report, and that will be a meeting between all parties to agree a list of actions ongoing. We haven't discussed yet a specific performance standard for it, but it is hoped very much from our point of view that the operator will endeavour to achieve all of those actions because they obviously have a joint interest in it as well. So it, for us, it was just a way of reviewing and changing that KPI that's there into something that's more meaningful and gives reassurance to the public that their views are actually being incorporated into annual service plans in a more democratic and, I would say, even more open and transparent manner. Any more questions? Is everybody happy with the report? In our case... That's it. That's it, is it? Yeah. Wonderful. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for coming. I now call this meeting to an end at 20.22 minutes.